World's Finest Podcast, Episode 89. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Sir, how are you? Uh, just fine. Good. Uh, normally, when I ask that question, I already know the answer, because we've been speaking off the air for, like, I don't know, anywhere between 5 and 20 minutes. But today, we actually didn't have uh, that long off the air, so I really didn't know what you were going to say there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, no news to report here. Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty low-key week, yeah. or fortnight, I should say. Oh, well, that's good. That's definitely good. Yeah, same here. I mean, there's not, I mean, work is really picking up for me, which is, is rare. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's just different. I mean, my job is usually pretty easy, um, but it's, it's really kicking my ass right now. So, but like I said, it's, it's good, you know, so more responsibilities, maybe mean more money down the line. I may have something similar to report somewhere down the line, hopefully. Oh, very good. Very good. Don't and want now, to curse myself, so I'm not going to say anything more. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did we ever talk about what happened to you at your work a few weeks ago? I don't think we mentioned ever mentioned that on the air. The certain thing that you came in contact with or were like a few inches from? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell the whole story because it turns out he wasn't the guy. Oh, no. I'll try and cliff note this as much as possible. Yeah. What happened was I'm, I opened the store and this guy comes in around 1130 in the morning. And he he had bought an entire book of scratch off lottery tickets, mm-hmm. which is three hundred dollars, and he yeah. only won like a hundred bucks out of the whole book. Oh. So I cashed his you know four winning tickets out of the twenty or fifteen that he bought, and um, he like started rifling through his pocket looking for something, and he pulled out this you know this crumpled up lottery ticket for like one of the big huge games like the Powerball or whatever it was, and um, he had. All the numbers for the drawing, uh, it was, I believe it was, um, September 18th, if I'm not mistaken. It was a Saturday. And, um, he, he had all the numbers from that drawing, but it looked to me, because he wouldn't let me look, you know, even touch the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, and he asked for a results page to make sure that these, he was looking at his ticket correctly, because what had happened was, it was four days after the drawing, and somebody had won, but nobody had claimed the prize yet. Okay. So it was – people were wondering, like, who won the, this money? Because it was like $118 million. Jeez. And he had – like I said, he, he looked at this results ticket. He looked at his ticket. I looked at his ticket as well as I could. It looked like he had all the numbers correct. And out of the corner of my eye, I see on his ticket, it said the date of the current day, the, the 22nd of – september not the 18th yeah so i tried to tell him that but you know he ran off and he came back in and i tried to tell him again but he said all right let me run back out and then he just ran off and never came back and he turned out to not be the guy oh see because when you told me that story over private message you didn't mention anything about the date being wrong or any of that. So the reason I, I didn't wow. tell you that 
the reason I didn't tell you that is because my manager and I were discussing it after all this stuff had gone down, and, and my manager was like, look, what are the odds that his ticket had all the right numbers for the wrong date? Yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah, I know. I Maybe I misread it, but I, did, I still was kind of sticking by my guns and really thinking he had the wrong date, and it turns out I was right, yeah. unfortunately for the guy. Uh, that was one place where I didn't want to be right. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Oh, uh, see, I was, I, I went into, you know, I wanted you to tell the story because I thought you'd be all like, you, you'd be able to tell people, oh my God, I was within inches of this like hundred plus million dollar ticket. And it turns out, wah, wah. <laughs> yep. Oh. In a, in kind of a weird sidebar, it turns out that the real winner is the friend of somebody my girlfriend works with. Oh, 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 oh. very nice. Very nice. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, that, that was a, a wacky wacky day yeah well i've got nothing that can compare to that so let's just get to the emails (laughs) yes let's um first one up today is from layla who writes mike and jim revved up is a guilty pleasure episode of mine a nice goofy wacky races homage that is the calm before the storm that is the not finale i was wondering what you guys think was robin's deep dark secret that was in the suitcase i personally believe that it is a picture of Dick in the classic pixie boots and tight green panties and Red X, who I believe not to be Larry, but Jason Todd, having also experienced that trauma at the hand of Batman, and in the end sympathizes with Robin and helps him avoid absolute humiliation. Other choices could be proof of the uh, the proof Teen Titans is in continuity, a comic featuring him as half of the ambiguously gay duo, or his treasured porn stash. <laughs> um, yeah, what are some of your theories as to what could be in there? Honest to God, I had some theories about this, but I've I've forgotten them over the last oh. two weeks, and I I would have to pull up my notes from yeah. uh, last week. You know, if you want to go ahead, I'll try and see if I can find. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I always think it has something to do with like uh, something to do with his family, with the Graysons. Um, but you know, beyond that, I don't know. I mean, is it his original? outfit when he was in the Flying Graysons, which of course was modified to become the very first Robin costume, the one at the pixie boots and the panties that was mentioned a second ago. Um, Honestly, that's as good a a suggestion as any at this point. Yeah, um, but talking it out, I wonder if it's not his Flying Graysons costume, but those of his parents um, that he saved and is, you know, keeping in this case. You know, because he doesn't want anybody getting to them. Um, it's, it's to, in my head, it has something to do with the Graysons. Um, whether it's Robin's costume, their costumes, or all of their costumes, I don't know. But it's something like that, I think. Yeah, I, I found my notes from okay. last time, but uh, didn't have anything written down. I, oh. I, I want to. I was trying. I was really trying when I was watching Revved Up originally to get some theories written down, but I, I, I couldn't think of anything that I really wanted to proffer up there. Continuing the email here. Also, bringing up Red X, I was surprised you guys didn't mention he was originally in the Brotherhood's villains lineup, but when the shit hit the fan, you can see him fighting the Brotherhood along with the Titans. While this is in character, he probably did it to save his own ass, and he really isn't a villain. Uh, it reminded me of Alive and JLU when Killer Frost just randomly killed half her teammates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also thought it was cool how Speedster's Mossy Manos went uber fanboy when meeting Kid Flash. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, about Red X there, I actually forgot he was in that big uh, lineup of all the villains. And, you know, I you could just say it's Red X. He's always got his own motivations. He probably 
They probably sent him an invite, they being the Brotherhood. He said, hey, I'll check this out, knowing that he probably wasn't going to join them anyways because he's Larry and a super fan and he's not really <laughs> evil. And, uh, but no, 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 all seriousness. You know, he, he has his own motivations. He, he went to check them out and was like, you know what? This ain't what I want to do. And that's why he helped Robin out and uh, revved up there. That's what I'm thinking. On one final unrelated note, what do you think of the recent details about the Spider-Man musical? The Power Ranger Goblin looks glorious in comparison to the bastard son of the Grinch uh, and a palm tree. Gobby also has Doc Ock's backstory and has a Huckleberry Hound Southern drawl. Need I mention the original villain, Swiss Miss, a villain that is named after hot cocoa and looks like the Tin Man with tits. (laughs) That's all news to me. Same here. I heard nothing about that, and now I have to go look it up online. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that (laughs) question mark. (laughs) All right, next one is from Sophia, who writes, Hey, James and Mike, there's this little problem I have every time I watch Titans together about a certain villain, specifically the green alien with a red arrow on his chest. We see him in a little fight with Starfire and Raven, and he just gets his butt kicked. What we don't see is him being frozen. After Beast Boy's brain freeze joke, the camera shows all the heroes, and among them is the alien guy groaning at Beast Boy's joke. I went back to check multiple times just in case my eyes were playing tricks on me, but he is there. Are you sure you didn't see, um, what was the the Titan with electrical powers? I forget his name. He was from, I think, the Perez, not Perez, uh, the Dan Jurgens era of Teen Titans. Because he looks, he looks like that alien that you're talking about. At least I, so maybe you saw him? Yeah, I guess it's either him or Kilowatt? Is that his name? Kilowatt. Uh, yeah, I think that yeah. is his name, actually. I'd say it's either him or Aqualad's little buddy. The the, the thing, you know, like the pufferfish oh, yeah. mechanic guy yeah. um, that you're probably seeing. I mean, maybe I, I'll go back and look. Maybe the arrow, because I think that alien you're talking about, I think his name is like XL Terrestrial or something like that. I'll see if I can see the arrow on his chest. And if the arrow's there, then boom, it's him. But I, I really got to think it's it's what James said. It's the electric guy or maybe the little fishy guy. Moving on, there is a little part in Things Change that makes me feel Tara can still use her powers, whether she remembers or not. When Tara and BB are at the pizza parlor, there's a small scene where you see Tara's arm, the pizza, and a glass of water with a couple of ice cubes. While Beast Boy is talking, you see Tara close her fist, and at the same time, the ice cubes and the water come together to make a giant clump of ice. Coincidence? I think not. Yeah, you know, I actually noticed that, too, and meant to bring it up during the episode, but I completely forgot. Um, But at the same time, she controls, you know, the land, the earth, not ice. So I don't know if she could do that with ice. I doubt it, honestly. Yeah. Again, her powers are, you know, uh, terrestrial. Yeah. Earth-moving. Yeah, but they definitely put it in there, though. It's there. She clenches her fist, and boom, the, the cubes do come together. So I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it's a hint. Maybe it's not. I, I can't say. P.S. I really love your show and can't wait for your review of Trouble in Tokyo. Oh, well. Today. Won't have to wait long. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one is from Aaron, who writes, Hey, guys, I... Uh, didn't know if you were aware of this or not, but Go is actually a semi-adaptation of the original comics origin story for the new Teen Titans, the version of the team upon which the TV series is based. In that original version, Raven, who was nowhere near as quiet or timid as she is in Go, was on a mission to recruit six young heroes into a new team of Titans to challenge a great evil that was soon to be unleashed upon the Earth, that being Trigon. 
Raven had selected Starfire along with BB, Cyborg, and others to be on the new team, but Starfire was currently enslaved on board a Gordanian ship. The Titans' first mission together was boarding the ship and battling the Gordanians to free Coriander. Also, the Gordanians don't have anything to do with the Thanagarians in the comics. It was actually really bizarre to see them as the Hawk people's mortal enemies in Starcross. They're normally an enemy exclusively associated with the Tamaranians, hence why Starfire referenced them attacking Tamaran and Sisters. So in this instance, Teen Titans is a lot closer to comics continuity than Justice League. I kind of maybe assumed there was a little bit taken from the comics, but I didn't realize how much. The whole, you know, aliens and Starfire being captive and all this and that. So cool. Next one is from Chris, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. I've been a listener since the BTAS days, yet have never felt strongly enough to send in a message until now. During the last episode, James just killed the series finale of Teen Titans. I just have a question. Do we need to see the Titans defeat Not Absorbing Man? I will argue that we don't. In Titans Together, we don't see the mega team take down Dr. Light. And in the series finale of Justice League Unlimited, we don't see all the villains get captured after their five-minute head start. We just accept that they do. So is it too much to ask to assume that Not Absorbing Man is defeated? Okay, uh, before I answer, I will say that this is going to be an episode that I at least go back and look at, reanalyze in our next WFP episode. Um, that said, there is a huge, huge difference between the inept Dr. Light versus literally every Teen Titan alive, and four Titans versus a creature that they literally could not hurt in the slightest, using every attack that they could, that they could think of. And the same thing applies to the Justice League, where you have a relatively small gathering of supervillains up against the entire flippin' Justice League. So, yeah, I do say we need to see them beat Not Absorbing Man. Um, it's, it's like I said in my review of the episode, Beast Boy being there in the beginning of the episode wasn't helping the Titans defeat this thing anyway. So, and they show Robin's trump card is to just summon Beast Boy, and we're just left with that cliffhanger. And I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot accept that as an ending to an episode, let alone a season, let alone the whole series. And that's my piece on that. <laughs> Continuing the email here, they were going for a very emotional story. I just, I don't think that the emotional impact would have been there if you show the end of the fight. Ending on the down note is what this episode needed. Like Mike says, uh, Tara showing up and kicking ass just wouldn't feel right. Uh, I'm not saying Tara should have shown up at all. And I, right, yeah, you I, never said that. Yeah, I, right. and I, I'm all for ending something on a down note. I, I'm, I love Empire Strikes Back. It's my yeah. favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah. I love sad endings. Um, and so I'm, I'm all for an emotional story. I just think that this whole framing, not absorbing man story really, really took away from it. Going back to the email. I will agree that this episode uh, feels out of place on first viewing, but I don't think it's a bad finale. Also, if you end the series with Titans together, it is similar enough to the finale of Justice League Unlimited, which airs only one month later. I find that the quiet finale is sometimes better than the loud one. I can agree with that. Um, I think I've rambled enough. As always, keep up the good work, and I look forward to trouble in Tokyo. Next one is from Joseph, who writes, Hey guys, thanks for the review of Season 5 of Teen Titans, and I cannot wait for your review of Trouble in Tokyo. I also saw Superman Batman Apocalypse, and Andre Brower from Stephen King's movie called Mist is a perfect voice for Darkseid, just like Michael Ironside in Superman the Animated Series in Justice League. And also makes Darkseid my personal favorite villain in the DCAU, because I never forgot what he said to Superman. On many planets, he's been called many things, but on Apocalypse, he is God. And I also wonder if there are uh, any comics that have uh, stories... Uh, with Darkseid as the main villain. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Now, I haven't seen Apocalypse yet. I'm going to buy it tomorrow, um, 
because I, I just didn't have the money up until tomorrow. But uh, uh, I, I will reserve judgment for until after I've heard it for the whole movie. But from the previews, I just ugh, I, I miss Michael Ironside even from the previews. I haven't seen it, and to be honest, I will only see it, you know, when and if we cover it on Earth2.net, the show. Um, and we've already got, as we've said before, first flight ahead of that, uh, crisis on two earths or whatever it's called ahead of that. I assume at some point we'll do under the red hood. There, there's so many things to get to before that. I don't know when we'll do it. And again, I don't even know if we'll do it. It's a sequel to, to a cartoon that I didn't like to begin with. Yeah. All right. Oh, oh, dark side stories. I don't know off the top of my head. Jeez. I know there's a, um, there's a Legion of Superheroes story called, like, The Great Darkness Saga or something like that. And I, I believe Darkseid is the main villain of that. I've never read it, so I, is I, that, I can't vouch for it. Is that the one where he finally is, like, killed? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Or You're not talking about Final Crisis, are you? No, 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 no. no. Because um, I want to say I heard of a Legion of Superheroes story where Darkseid is the main villain, and he's finally destroyed. But I really, I could be completely... Maybe maybe that's it. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I just mentioned it a second ago. There's Final Crisis. I've not read it. I mean, I've read little bits here and there. Didn't enjoy what I was reading. <laughs> um, I have I have the one... Actually, I may have two issues of that uh, where Batman meets his end. End in quotes, you know. Yeah, quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know, how does Batman try to eliminate Darkseid? By picking up a gun? What? But Batman, no, no, shut up, Grant Morrison. <laughs> and and yeah, all all you fans, write in and, and try to justify why Grant Morrison is the greatest writer in the world. You know, oh go God, we're it. gonna have like twelve emails about this before we start episode ninety. Yeah, I know. And you know what? I like Grant Morrison. I love All Star Superman. I absolutely adore that twelve issue series. But I don't think he's the end all be all. I think he. I, I think he writes stories that only he gets, and a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people read them and go, oh my god, I don't get it, therefore it must be smart. And they then lay this praise on top of him, and I'm like, no, like, most of his shit's confusing, so whatever. Um, but yeah, Darkseid's in that as the main villain, so maybe you want to give Final Crisis a look, I don't know. I don't know. Um, if there's anybody else out there that knows any uh, stories where Darkseid is the main villain, uh, do write in uh, along with your Grant Morrison's The Greatest Thing Since Ever emails, you know, and, and let us know. Can we please have more Darkseid emails? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Darkseid, I love Darkseid. He's one of my favorite villains of all time, so I would love to know myself. Anyway. Um, next one is from Brian, who writes, There is another reason Teen Titans can't take place after Old Wounds. Didn't Dick tell Tim that after he left the rooftop, he never put on that costume again? Um, Excellent point, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, as for Lightspeed, uh, hmm, an episode with Kid Flash has the same name as the Energy Bars Flash endorses in Justice League. Coincidence? Maybe, but it is still cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that's something else I meant to bring up, but it, it just slipped my mind, yeah. All right, next one's from Christian, who writes, I know my last email was pretty long, but hopefully this will make up for that. Could Ron Perlman play Deathstroke in a live-action Teen Titans film? Okay, Deathstroke is older, but I don't know if the 60-plus-year-old Ron Perlman could do it. 
I'd love him to. Absolutely would, but it may be a case where they get someone who's a little younger, I hate to say it, like Ray Park, to do all the action, and Ron Perlman just does the voice, and like Slade never takes off the mask or something. I've thought that Kiefer Sutherland should be Slade. That would be awesome. He's got a great voice, and he he can do intense. He's a very good age uh, for that part. I, I would go with him. I would absolutely go with Kiefer Sutherland. I've thought that for years. All right. Um, I had the, these emails out of order, so this is Christian's first email that I oh. alluded to there. So. <laughs> Um, hey guys, a, f- a few thoughts on some of the last episodes of Teen Titans. First of all, I'm quite surprised that neither of you ranted about the portrayal of Mento in Homecoming, who was voiced by the same guy who voiced Sergeant Mills in the abominable Superman the uh, animated series episode Prototype. <laughs> oh, I hate, I hate referencing that episode <laughs> ever for any reason. And whose performance in this episode might be even worse since his character has more screen time. Uh, regarding Revved Up, I fell asleep the last time I reviewed the episode. Coincidence? Batman the Brave and the Bold's equivalent, Death Race to Oblivion, however, is not much better. In it, Mongol forces Batman and a small group of heroes and villains to race his minion, Steppenwolf, on a 100-mile canyon race course. Should Steppenwolf win, Mongol will destroy the planet using his space station, War Moon. While if one of the heroes or villains wins, he or she will become Earth's supreme ruler. Like Revved Up, the heroes and indeed villains should have kicked the villain's ass before agreeing to participate in such a contest. Guy Gardner even comes close to smashing Mongol with a giant green Thor hammer before he even announces the race. The voice acting for Mongol in this episode also makes Eric Roberts' portrayal of this C-lister in Warworld look Shakespearean. Finally, I'm very much in the same boat as James regarding the quality of things change. The episode closely mirrors the Season 2 episode Betrayal, but lacked all the emotional power of it, while absolutely nothing is explained or resolved. It was a terrible end for the series, especially because Teen Titans, while extremely dark and emotional at times, sticks out to me first and foremost because of the sheer hilarity present throughout all uh, all five seasons. If I want to watch something epic and emotional, I'll watch Apocalypse Now or Starcross. But for something funny, I'd just watch... I'd watch just about any episode of Teen Titans because it provides the series with a satisfying end, unlike things change. And even though I have no idea what you two will grade it, I have to say thank God for trouble in Tokyo. (laughs) P.S. James, I hate Napoleon Dynamite 2. Please let that be an addition of Tranquil Tyrate. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly up today is from uh, Kevin, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, I think I know what was in Robin's case from Revved Up. It's his most prized possession, one so secret, so intense, it would boggle your mind. Want to know what it is? All right, I'll tell you. It's the secret to where exactly Teen Titans falls in continuity with the rest of the DCAU. If a villain were to get their hands on that, they could use it for all sorts of unspeakable evil. They could post it on forums across the world. The simultaneous and overwhelming response from fans around the world would be enough to crash all the computers around the world, from supercomputers to iPods. This would eventually send the world into a swirling eddy of despair, leading to another Stone Age. That is why the producers couldn't show us what was in the briefcase. They were afraid of the repercussions it would have on the world. Or maybe it was lazy writing. Who knows? (laughs) I love that we got two emails that, that mention this. His fully elaborates on it, and the first one he read today just kind of mentions it in passing. That's great. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. People don't just disappear. I don't know what to tell you, man. The crime scanner's one of the only things we got working in this place, and it can't find him anywhere. I can't make psychic contact either. Perhaps this psychotech possesses the power of teleportation? If he could teleport, he would have done it the moment he was caught. Oh, oh. 
Maybe he just wasn't waterproof. I know, not helping. So if the dude vanished into thin air, how are we supposed to find him? By tracking down his boss. This Brushogun ordered an attack on our headquarters. He nearly destroyed our home. He will be brought to justice. Pack your things. We're heading for Tokyo. Sweet! We're going on vacation! And our final Teen Titans podcast before our retrospective is on the animated feature Trouble in Tokyo. And, of course, uh, if this is your first time hearing one of our reviews of a movie, uh, what we do is I start synopsizing the movie, and uh, I'll stop myself if I need to say anything that I feel about a scene or Michael interrupt me. It's it's good times had by all. Um, So I'll just jump right in here. Uh, We... Open up the movie with a uh, busy street, and this dude in a pink and blue leotard uh, starts chucking exploding shurikens all over the place. And so the Titans intervene, as they do, and they start chasing the guy all over the city. And he ends up blowing up the T-car after Cyborg blows his arm off, but he does create a new arm, seemingly out of thin air, though. Uh, so the dude flies around and heads straight for Titan's Tower and starts trashing it uh, with these exploding shurikens, but... Uh, Robin manages to ensnare him, and he they both uh, back on the ground. Uh, Robin interrogates him, but he only speaks Japanese. So Robin sees one of his shurikens lodged in the ground, and it just morphs into a sphere in his hand. Robin ends up interrogating the guy uh, when we get into uh, Titan's Tower. And I, I guess I should say, what do you... What do you think about this opening scene? Because it was about five minutes long. It was one big fight chase scene. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good action sequence. It really gets you invested in this this brand new villain that we've, well, never seen before. That's a little redundant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, here's this guy. He's got a... I actually love the look of Psychotech. Mm-hmm. I love his kind of... Power, not Power Rangers-ish, but, you know, he's got a very Japanese look about him. Um, yes. And I think it's an amazing costume. Uh, he's flying around, you know, we don't know what he is, and his arm reappears, and it takes the whole, it literally takes a whole team to bring him down. Um, he's destroying the tower for, at this point, some unknown reason. It's it's wild. I love it. What about you? Uh, same here. Um, and I love that we don't get an explanation as to why he attacked the tower until like the last ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'll I'll just reiterate everything you said. This is a really fun action sequence because the Titans, hey, the Titans can't defeat this guy. Yeah. What what will they do? Yeah, <laughs> they'll call in Beast Boy. Oh wait, he's already there. Yeah, <laughs> call in Terra. Oh wait, no, she yeah. doesn't exist. Anymore. They'll end on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Fuck! Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. I will say, though, I think during this opening sequence, the models for the Titans are a little off. They are. They they look a little just smaller, maybe? Uh, Robin looks like he's shrunk a few inches. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if, if they're smaller or what, but they just don't feel right to me. And there's a couple of points throughout this entire movie where that happens, but it's really noticeable here. Um, I don't know if they were going with a different animation company, if, um, 
you know, the B team, so to speak, was handling this as opposed to the top guys, I really don't know. But it's a little distracting from the otherwise, again, stellar action sequence. So um, Robin starts inter- uh, interrogating the guy in the tower, and uh, Mike said his name is Psychotech. Um, and Robin uses his computer to translate his panicky dialogue, and uh, he's like, I wasn't supposed to be captured. I had no choice but to attack your, your home. Uh, I, I was sent by the worst criminal ever, um, and he names him, his name is uh, Brashogun. Um, Robin demands to know who that is. Dude flips over the desk that was holding him down, kicks the sprinkler system on, and he just disappears without a trace. Um we go back upstairs, and uh, Robin is discussing this with the team, and he says it just doesn't make sense how he just disappeared, because if he had teleportation powers, he would have teleported away hours before any of this happened. Um, so Robin then says, you know what? Pack your things. We're heading for Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> so Beast Boy is psyched, because he he's been whining for a vacation all throughout this first like five to ten minutes here. Uh, so the title sequence here... Uh, is just the Titans packing for their trip. Um, Cyborg packs extra parts and apparently has an extra head. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, Beast Boy takes literally everything he owns. Um, Raven takes a toothbrush. <laughs> I love that. Just walks into the bathroom, grabs a toothbrush, floats away. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Personal hygiene. Yeah. Um, Starfire has like a very Flintstones-like moment with this kind of suitcase vacuum purse hybrid thing, um, <laughs> and uh, so they all pack. Well, their wait, sh- hang on. You actually forgot Robin. It's kind of important that we mention what Robin does. Uh, one, I think it's cute that Silky is sleeping on Robin's costume, mm-hmm. which Robin plucks out from under him and then puts another one underneath Silky, so he's not left just laying on the floor. But the reason it's important. Is because that actually comes back. I mean, Robin has to, his costume gets shredded, he ditches it, and the team has an extra one for him. So th- this whole little sequence, I mean, his is the only p- thing that actually comes back, but it does mean something. Well, no, Cyborg's comes back too, because later on he loses an arm. And he fixes it. So, so yeah, Robin and Cyborg's uh, opening sequences here play, play actually play into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um... So they've all packed their stuff on and in the T-ship, and uh, they fly across the Pacific, and Aqualad, chibi Aqualad, <laughs> waves to them. Yeah. Um, and when they arrive on the outskirts of the city, uh, Robin reaffirms that this is not a vacation. They're here to bring this guy, Brashogun, to justice, so they need to be on their best behavior since they're guests in this country. Um, as they're walking towards Tokyo, we see... The uh, this shadowy figure watching the Titans in a very Slade-like manner. Mm-hmm. And we get a small montage of all the bright, shiny things all over Tokyo, and the Titans are all mesmerized by all of it. And uh, when they're, we see them on the street, uh, Robin says that they need to start in the Shinjuku district because it's one of the worst parts of town. Wait, wait, wait. I gotta <laughs> jump in. I love that Robin knows that by looking at a travel guide. I don't think travel guides tell you, you know, the, the worst parts of town. They tell you where to go. I don't think they tell you where not to go. <laughs> but he's just flipping through this book. That would be very helpful, though. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I will say, I do take a little issue with, and you're going to get to it in a minute, but no, you actually mentioned it earlier, um, that Robin doesn't speak Japanese, or at the very least doesn't understand it, um, and the fact that he doesn't know the city of Tokyo that well. I would just assume he does because of Bruce. I mean, he had to have foreign language training, and it's not far-fetched to think that he went to Tokyo with Bruce or alone to do some of his martial arts training. Yeah, that, right. that I mean, I know why they do it, because it's leading up to what you're about to say that with Starfire, which goes back to what we saw in the episode Go, but I really do think... I mean, anytime I watch it, 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 it bothers me. I can get over it, but it does kind of... It just doesn't sit right with me. I, I hear you. Yeah. I understand that. Um, and like I said, Robin says they need to start with this Shinjuku district, but they have no idea how to get there since apparently none of them can read or speak Japanese. Um, so Starfire takes it upon herself to grab a random young man and kiss him. And the Titans, especially Robin, are very weirded out by this. And Starfire ascertains the directions from him. <laughs> And then he's suddenly in love with her. I love the little hearts coming out of his head. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, Robin's like, um, Starfire, why did you kiss him? And uh, she says, oh, Tamaranians can instantaneously learn any language through lip contact. And Cyborg's like, all right, you can now speak Japanese. <laughs> and Robin's just like, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, he calls back to go. Yeah, exactly. Wait, is that where he says it? Is that why you kissed me when we first met, or is that later? That's later on. Oh, okay, pardon. I didn't mean to get ahead that. of us. No prob. Um, yeah, I do like that they they did that again, and we're going to get an explanation for it. Yeah. But, um, at this point, a bunch of people start running away uh, in the crowd, and Star Starfire says that there's these the people are saying that there's a huge monster heading their way, and they attack it, but uh, it's apparently invulnerable to their attacks because even when uh, uh, Cyborg shoots his sonic cannon at it and blasts a hole in it, it just reforms the area where the hole was. And uh, it, it's heal so it's healing itself in the same way that Psychotech did earlier when his arm was blown off. And uh, the Titans try their best to fight this thing, but they can't get out of their own way, and they end up hurting themselves several times, which I like because I'm sick of the, the heroes always... Using trying some tactical maneuver and it always works. Mm. So it's. I think it was kind of funny to see uh, Beast Boy turn into T Rex and then just hit his head on a bridge. Yeah, that's actually something I did write down. Is they are out of their element. Raven, she's used to throwing cars at things, and none of these cars are causing a big explosion, as she says, because there's no gas guzzlers. You know, mm -hmm. BB hits his head because he doesn't realize the bridge is there. Cyborg goes to pull, let's see, he pulls like on a pole, and he doesn't realize it's a, it's attached to like a big sign, and it falls all over him, and Starfire floats into the power lines. I absolutely agree with everything you're saying there. Something else, something else I want to add is I like the little clues that they're giving uh, and they've done it twice so far, maybe three times, as to what Brushogun's Brush powers are. Because when uh, Psychotech lost his arm, and when the Godzilla beastie gets the hole shot in its chest, when it, it heals over, we see the, the four-color code. Uh, well, no, we don't see black, but it does go cyan, magenta, yellow. 
And then later on, there's more clues about that. Um, but but I'll mention them when we actually get there. Robin manages to get this creature away from Starfire, who is tangled or has been grasped by this giant Godzilla-looking thing. And uh, so it starts chasing him, and it chases him into a busy intersection where it just corners him in this ring of fire. And suddenly, a group of men called the Tokyo Troopers show up, and Inspector Zenigata from Lupin the Third. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, Commander Daizo uh, <laughs> shows up, and they subdue the creature with their advanced technology. And I mean, look, they're they're Japanese; they've got advanced technology. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're probably ten years ahead of whatever we have over here, anyway. Oh yeah. Um. So uh, they subdue the creature, and Daizo introduces himself. Um. And he takes them on a tour of their very, very cool complex. And eventually Robin uh, asks Daiso, with your permission, you know, I'd love to use your equipment here to track down a criminal. And uh, Daiso's like, oh, sure. Uh, whom might I ask would that be? And uh, Robin's like, his name is Brashogun. And Daiso's like, he's just an urban myth, kid. And um, he also claims to not know who Psychotech is. Uh, and oh, by the way, don't interfere in police business and enjoy the city as tourists. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that's pretty much uh, it. Uh, setting up uh, another one of the main characters here. Uh, that was very very clear reference to Zenigata from Lupin the Third. It's the exact same outfit that he wears, oh, which okay. I love. Because Lupin the Third is one of my favorite animes. It's just it's so much fun. Okay. Uh, I, I highly recommend it if you ever get a chance to watch it. I'm pretty sure I've seen bits and pieces. Wasn't there? Wasn't there a video game or something? Well, it was on Cartoon or Adult Swim, Cartoon Network, whatever. No, I want to say I knew about it like a long time because that's an older program, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I really want to say there was an old Lupin video game. Oh, uh, there was. Okay. I, I just I don't remember when it came out. Yeah, yeah. I'm positive I played it or at least seen someone play it. So okay. Um. Anything else you want to say just until I move on? Um, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so uh, this is a little bit of a turning point in the movie because um, Robin Robin feels stupid for, you know, what is looking at this point to be like a wild goose chase. But Beast Boy, <laughs> as he does, just like, I know what we need to do. We need to go to the comic book store. <laughs> Well, not the comic book store, the comic book publisher's headquarters. Yeah, factory yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Robin's pissed off, and he's like, the comic book uh, building or whatever. And it, it turns out the place is locked um, and closed. And uh, Robin's just like, let's just go home. And Cyborg yells at him. He's like, dude, <laughs> we are in Tokyo. We need to look around, see the sights. And so they do. They all split up to have a little vacation. Um, well, now hang on. Before you go any further, I just I just want to point something out. And Beast Boy even mentions this later on. They really should have went into to the manga factory or whatever. They really should have. Um, I know the door was locked, but had they been able to get in there, this would have been solved right here, right now. <laughs> um, but the other thing I want to bring up is that earlier in the in the film, after Psychotech disappeared, Beast Boy actually he makes a bad joke, but he's right. Um, he says maybe Psychotech wasn't waterproof. And that's why when the sprinkler got turned on, he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And Cyborg and Raven just growl at him. But again, he was making a joke, but he was right at the end of the day. And it's sort of like, maybe you need to listen to the little green guy 
once in a while. <laughs> and you'd solve these cases a lot quicker. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Just standing up for BB. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needs to. Yeah. Um, so, Brashogun, I get, you know, we think is Brashogun and Shadow at his hideout says, hmm, they are not searching for me anymore. Well, I'll still be watching them. Ha ha ha, as I twirled my mustache. Yeah. Um, and so, he sends some goons after the Titans, and uh, we go see. We see Beast Boy sitting on a uh, sitting on the stairs in front of the the manga or the manga comic book building, and uh, this super cute Japanese schoolgirl walks up to him, snickers, calls him otaku, uh, which Beast Boy thinks means cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she runs off, and he chases after. Her. Okay, uh, now hang on, real quick. Well, when Beast Boy was sitting on, on the steps, he's all like, oh, my God, you know, this is my mecha manga and all that. And they, they show all these manga uh, books floating behind him. Some of those had to be references to actual manga and anime. Were you recognizing anything? I actually looked at all of them, but I did not recognize a single one of them. Okay, because I thought the one with the girl, the girl with the gun might have been a reference to Ghost in the Shell. Could be. Uh, looked, but I'm not quite sure it's Ghost in the Shell. It looked familiar, but I, I don't know. And the other ones, you know, it was like guys with swords and other s- such stuff. So I was like, I, I, I don't know what's going on here. You know, if there's anybody out there that does know, does recognize what those are referencing, do let us know. Yeah, it's. It, I definitely paused the my the the thing and just to look in in the background and see if I noticed him, but I. For the life of me, I didn't notice a single one. I felt kind of, uh, I felt kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, anyway, Robin and Starfire are seen. Uh, they they show them in a river, uh, on a small boat, right not down a river, you know, romantic and all this whatnot. But eventually, we also we see them later in an arcade uh, <laughs> where Starfire plays this dance dance revolution slash Guitar Hero slash Whack a Mole. <laughs> hybrid thing i would play that game <laughs> i would not be at all surprised if that exists somewhere in japan i want to know what the helmet was supposed to be referencing you know <laughs> that's good that helmet had to be a reference to something i don't know what but something um i'm trying to think oh of well, the... wait hang on when when starfire's playing ddr hero a mole or whatever the fuck we're calling it <laughs> there's you know all the boys are going gaga over her because oh my god here's a really pretty girl uh, uh, kicking this game's ass. One of the guys in the background looks just like Beast Boy, but without green skin and pointy ears. That's kind of weird. Yeah, there, I think at the moment there's only like two or three guys on screen, and he pops in from the left. I mean, he's not wearing BB's outfit, but it's BB's face again, without the the ears and the one little fang that he has. Huh. Yeah. Actually, the, uh, what I wanted to say about that is the, the stuffed animals that were being destroyed by the guitar, mm-hmm. I think they looked like Glenn Morikami. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't if, say. If I remember no, correctly, or like, I yeah. don't know if it was the, the whack-a-moles or if it was somebody in the background, but I honestly want to say it was the whack-a-moles. <laughs> Just kind of strange, but okay. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, I also want to mention this note I have here is before the whole DDR Guitar Hero whack-a-mole thingy. Uh, but I don't know at what point it happens. There, there's a kid randomly standing around in a, and I know I'm going to mispronounce it, so please connect, uh, correct me. Kaneda? Kanada? Shotara Kaneda? The, the kid from Akira. 
Yes. There's a kid wearing that jacket with the pill. The po- Yeah, the capsule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't remember what scene it is. I just know it's before the DDR sequence. Well, we're going to get another reference to Akira uh, later in the movie, too. So, uh, You know what? I- I'm, I'm going to drop one that I was disappointed we didn't see right here. Later on... No, you know what? I'll save it. I'll, I'll save it, actually. It, it, okay. You're talking about this scene right here? There was potential for another Akira reference, and they didn't do it, and I'm disappointed about that. Oh, oh, okay. But okay. I'll mention it when we get there. All right. Um, so, you know, Starfire's kicking this machine's ass, and Robin's really getting pissed off at all these guys, uh, just staring a hole through her. And uh, she strikes a super anime pose, and Robin actually smiles. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, my note here is, though, you know, it wouldn't be an anime without cherry blossom petals everywhere. So, I mean, anime cliche, number, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> we next see Raven, and she walks up to, uh, I guess, an, is that a newsstand or something? Yeah, it's I can't a newsstand, yeah. Okay. And she says, look, I know English, German, Romanian, Sumerian, Latin, and Sanskrit. You have anything I can read? And the dude hands her a stick of gum called Super Twinkle Donkey Gum. I shit you not. Um, he then uh, winks at her, and she just gets this full body shiver. Oh, did uh, he wink? I thought he just twitched. <laughs> I didn't realize that was supposed to be a wink. <laughs> okay. She's like, <laughs> And then we go back to Robin and Starfire. Um Oh, I, I guess I should note that uh, Cyborg is in this all-you-can-eat uh, sushi place. Yeah. And uh, they're, the, the chefs there are not going to be happy with what he does to their, their establishment. Yeah. But we'll get back to that uh, shortly. Um, we see Robin Starfire, and they're sitting on top of a building. And Starfire, she, you know, very sheepishly asks Robin about the lip contact earlier with that boy. And... She says on Tamaran, it merely means the transfer of knowledge. Uh, on Earth, it means something more, or so she's heard. And uh, Robin then acts about as awkwardly as humanly possible. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, that, yeah. Um, and then he sprays some banaka in his mouth. And Starfire. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Starfire then smells her armpits yeah. and eats about 150 breath mints or yeah. something. And they actually kind of sort of start to hold hands. Sure, it's yeah. just their pinkies, but they're they're moving closer. Yeah. Could we finally be getting the payoff a la Wild Cards in Justice League? <laughs> nope. No. no. <laughs> I, I love the little hop Starfire does to get closer to Robin. It's like a hopping, scooting thing. You mm-hmm. know, we just see it from behind. We just see her butt shifting. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so Robin's... I can't remember what who says what, but basically it's like, you know, we're, you're my best friend. I know, yeah, you, you're my best friend too. Uh, so, what do we have to fear? Nothing could come between that. So we have to fear. And at this point, Robin has an epiphany and says, "Fear. That's it. Psychotech was terrified of someone. So, Bershogun has to be real." And Starfire is very dejected, but she says, well, "If he is real, surely Daiso and his men can handle it, right?" Um, you know, why can't we have a little fun while we're here? And, uh, Robin said there's nothing, f- he says there's nothing fun about looking like a bunch of dumbass kids. And we're heroes, and that's all we are. And Starfire begs to differ, but Robin adamantly says there's no time for fun. And Starfire flies away crying. Well, he doesn't just say 
No Time for Fun, he starts to say No Time for Romance, too. He doesn't quite finish it, but mm-hmm. he does say something like, you know, I'm just a hero, and if you and if you don't like that, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Robin, I like it more than you will ever know. And that's when she flies away crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I mean, what what did you think about this whole sequence, them on the on the building, or not the building, but whatever, on the structure, whatever it is? Um, that was awesome. It, mm-hmm. It's exactly what I would expect from Robin, because yeah. I didn't think it was possible to cock block yourself, <laughs> but Robin is apparently a grandmaster at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's really a very well put together scene. Yeah, and he's so very Batman in that sequence too. Absolutely. You know, well, besides the ultra awkwardness, you know, um, he's he's giving himself over to someone else, which is hard for him to do. And the second, you know, the second someone says one word, his mind's back on the case, and he completely pushes away. Uh, this this semblance of a normal life he could have had, uh, thus hurting the other person's feelings. And he doesn't want to do it, but it's just who he is by his nature. Um, or in Robin's case, actually, by the way he was nurtured. Um, so, yeah, again, it's, it's this really great reminder of who raised this kid. I love it. And there's another scene later on that's very Batman-esque, too. But, again, I'll mention that when we get there. I think I know what you're, which one you're talking about. Okay. Um, uh, next we see Raven and she's walking down a dark street. Um, well, it's at night, so of course it's dark. Um, but, um, but we can see she's being followed by something. We don't really know what at that point. Uh, but she, it seems to be led to this certain building and she's like, this is a really bad idea, but she walks in anyway. And, um, Cyborg is still at the all-you-can-eat sushi place, and he's told to leave by the midget iron chef. Yeah. And uh, Beast Boy uh, starts pursuing uh, the cute girl to a karaoke bar where he sings an incredibly bad English <laughs> translation of the Teen Titans theme. But apparently he does such a great job that he's mobbed by a half-dozen cute girls. Half-dozen? They're well, all no, over no, him. No, first, at first it's a half-dozen, then it becomes oh. like... Like, dozens upon dozens upon dozens. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he gets jumped. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love that he's not pleased. He's like, ladies, ladies, you know, I'm looking for one specific girl. It's like, dude, you're surrounded by, like, three dozen girls. Like, forget the other one. <laughs> yeah, pick one. Pick all of them, you know? <laughs> you know, he, he's in Japan. He can be an octopus. Tentacles, you know? Eh, eh. Uh, we'll have plenty of tentacles <laughs> later, if you know what I mean. Oh, God, there's something I may mention about that sequence. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I'll have plenty. Okay. Plenty to say. Okay. My one note here um, with this karaoke scene uh, is I wonder why the people there are chanting go since that means five in Japanese. Mm-hmm. They're just like, go, 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 go. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> okay. That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. A few things in this movie do really at this point. Yeah. So anyway, um, next we see – uh, Robin's sitting on a neon sign trying to figure out what that uh, spherical device from earlier is, uh, but he is attacked by Psychotech. Um, Psychotech shows that he is much more than meets the eye, and he shapeshifts much like uh, Madame Rouge can, or could, uh, yeah. since she's, she's, a, she's a popsicle now. Yeah. Um, and a pretty brutal fight scene occurs here, uh, and it goes all across some rooftops, and 
it ends it ends with Robin flinging Psychotech into a billboard that collapses all the way to the street below, and then we see Robin on the ground beating the hell out of what is essentially Psychotech's corpse, and a huge crowd sees all this happen, and Robin is like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, and keep and, in mind, Robin's covered in what at the time we think is blood. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not red, but we don't know what it is at this point. So we are right. supposed to assume that it's blood. Mm-hmm. And uh, Commander Daizo shows up with his men, and he has Robin arrested and imprisoned. And in the next scene, Robin's in a cell, and he tries to tell Daizo, look, this has to be a setup, but you know, Daizo won't listen. That fight, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is a brutal fight. I mean, it's awesome. It's It's just... It might be one of the most violent uh, in the series. I'm trying to think if there was a, you know, the Slade fights between Beast Boy and the Slade bot and Slade and Beast Boy at the uh, the carnival the first time. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple other Slade fights. But that may be the most brutal fight in, in all of Teen Titans. Yeah, if only for Robin, you know, mounting him and just whacking away at that, mounting him and whacking away. Anyways, uh, and just... <laughs> I tried. I tried not to say anything. <laughs> but as you said, he just keeps beating the guy's face after he's clearly dead. I mean, and so when we see the crowd just being like gasp and all that, you're kind of feeling the same thing they're feeling. Like, holy Christ, did Robin just kill this guy? Mm-hmm. We go back to Raven, and she meets the owner of this bookstore that she's wandered into, and she says. Uh, look, I need a book on Brashogun, but there isn't anything in mythology or fiction. And the owner's like, of course not, because he is quite real. And she does get a book, uh, you know, the book she came for, essentially. And we go back to Cyborg, and he's forced out of the restaurant <laughs> by the chefs, and Beast Boy starts running away from this mob of girls, and they end up colliding with each other and they hide from their various mobs. Um, Starfire sees that, that Robin has been arrested and she tells the Titans uh, about this and Cyborg's like, all right, well, let's rendezvous. I'm sending coordinates. Um, wait, wait, hang rush- on, hang on. I have to interrupt. Okay. I have to interrupt. When Starfire sees that Robin's been arrested, you know, she sees it on like, you know, a big jumbotron screen in like the middle of downtown Tokyo, right? And we see that Robin's booking number is DC number 38-04-40. Now, here's Mm -hmm. the thing. I'm going to tell you what that means, but before I tell you what that means, and some of you may already know, I'm going to tell you a little story. I watched uh, Trouble in Tokyo, I want to say, like, when it first aired on Cartoon Network. Um, Maybe it wasn't when it first aired, but it doesn't matter. I actually saw this on TV. And uh, the second, and I literally mean the second that booking number was on screen, I instantly knew what it meant. I didn't even have to look it up. That's how much of a Dick Grayson fan I am. Now, the people that don't know what I'm talking about, they're like, what's he getting at? Here's what the booking number means. DC, Detective Comics, number 38, that's that's Robin's first appearance. That's Dick Grayson's first appearance. Detective Comics number 38. The 0440, that's because that comic has a cover date of April 1940. DC number 38-04-40. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool little reference, but, you know, I just I just had to throw in that little 
personalized story. Just me sitting there watching it and going, oh, I know what that means. And then sort of bowing my head and being like, I'm sick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, this is what our 89th episode of WFP. People who've been listening since the beginning know exactly how big of a Dick Grayson fan you are. Yes, indeed. I care deeply for Dick. You know, we'll say it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that was what I said. I know, I know. That was my line with Barbara. (laughs) I know. I'm just just turning it on myself. That's all. I'm not laying claim to the line. (laughs) Well, that was very nice. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so it, uh, Daiso or whoever is on the report says that the Titans are all accomplices and they need to be arrested. So if you see them, you ter- you tell us so we can capture them or whatever. Yeah, doesn't he say, like, they can either get the hell out of the country or turn themselves in, right? Yeah. So Brushogun makes his move here and sends all those goonies after the team – Starfire is attacked by Astro Boy. Uh, Raven is attacked by No Face from Spirited Away. And Cyborg and Beast Boy are attacked by Anapuma from Dominion Tank Police and a fat yellow robot that I'm sure is also an homage, but I have no idea what it could be of. I, I knew, you know, I could pick out Astro Boy. And I was sure that that monster, I mean, I, I knew there were all references to something. Um, but I felt like I should have known what the ghosty monster was a reference to. Would you say it was Spirited Away? Yeah. Okay. I love that moment earlier on when we see the monster and it just pops up and it's like, Rah! it's it's like one of those YouTube scare videos where you're yeah. like watching kittens play and then all of a sudden, you know, that's some this scary image just makes screaming you face. Pants. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was sort of like that. Um, but the the real reason I'm interrupting here is because besides Starfire versus uh, not Astro Boy, if you actually look, they're all sort of fighting. In, in some way, a counterpart. Raven's taking on something spooky, Cyborg's taking on a robot, and Beast Boy's taking on an animal girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, is Astro Boy an alien? He was Earth. He was created on Earth, right? Yeah, but I mean, he does, you know, shoot out energy beams. Like That's true. So, so they have that in common, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I just like the fact that they were actually able to find them, you know, in some way, uh, counterparts. Yeah, and so listeners, Kellen, Hannah, somebody help me out here and tell me what that yellow, that fat yellow robot is supposed to be an homage to, because I really don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, I should know, uh, note, of course, that the hot school girl turns out to be the cat girl homage to Anapuma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so in the meantime, Robin is being transfer, uh, in a, transferred in a paddy wagon, but this piece of paper wafts into the truck and the lettering magically lifts off the paper and turns into an exploding shuriken, which causes the paddy wagon to flip over. I love the way the letters slowly come off the paper. It actually looks a little 3D to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how they achieved that effect with just simple 2D renderings, but I just love it. It's so mystical and just cool looking. It, it indeed is. Um, and the way it morphs into the shuriken is just as cool. Robin saves the driver of the the truck and and they gets them out before the entire truck explodes and he escapes uh and we later see him sneaking through alleyways uh and at this point uh an unfortunate mugger tries to <laughs> rob him but he's robin so the dude stands absolutely no chance in hell of, of robbing robin yeah. <laughs> um so robin ends up taking the dude's clothes and uh ditches his costume and he and we he also puts on the guy's sunglasses so we yeah. still don't see his eyes. Yeah. 
and uh, Robin heads straight Wait, for. Hang on, though. Okay. I got to interrupt okay. again. After okay. he steals that guy's clothes, he says, "If everyone's looking for Robin, then I can't be Robin anymore." I swear to God, I would have given this an eleven if, in that moment, I don't know where he would have got the costume, but in that moment, if he became Nightwing. <laughs> I mean, I understand what they were doing. It's not logical for him to become Nightwing, but just to watch him grow up. Because earlier, he's, he's as you said, he's lamenting the fact that they look like amateurish kids. And the cop says, oh, we're all adults here. So there's this whole theme about growing up. So how, you know, just think about that. Robin right here decides, he already knows he's destined to become Nightwing because mm-hmm. of the future Starfire went to. Granted, that future was erased, but it's still now in his head that he will become that. We know he'll become that. So he would it would have been great if he could have put the costume on here. Now, granted, that means that this wouldn't, wouldn't fit into continuity at all because he becomes Nightwing later on. But, right. you know, still, it would have gotten 11 from me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this should surprise nobody. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so Robin, in disguise, heads straight for... The worst dive bar in the worst part of all of Tokyo. I think he, he, just, I, he probably referenced his tour guide again. Or his tour yes, book, yeah. Of, of course. Yeah. Um, he just walks right in, beats the shit out of everyone, and demands to know from the bartender about Brashogun. Uh, dude just kind of laughs and says he's just a myth, which pisses Robin off, uh, <laughs> naturally. So the dude says he was uh, a master criminal who seemed to have magical powers uh, that inspired others to criminal activity, but one day he just disappeared, and that day was when many more criminals started showing up. At this point, the police chopper, or the Tokyo Trooper chopper, uh, hovers over the bar, and Robin grabs a helmet and steals a blue Akira bike and speeds away from the Tokyo Troopers. See, uh, that's the thing, and this is what I was talking about, the other the time they could have made an Akira reference. It's not, again, I can't pronounce his name, Kaneda? Canada. Canada's bike. It's just a blue motorcycle. But they did. They did add the the taillight stream effect from Akira. Ooh, I didn't notice that. Okay. Okay, I'll give them that then. But I would have loved it, even if they had to change the color for whatever reasons, if that was the actual bike from Akira. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't matter if it's red, blue, pink, or black, you mm-hmm. know? I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to see it there. Uh, you know, not taking a point off because it didn't meet my expectations. I'm just saying it would have been so much cooler. Yeah. I, I loved that just for this one little part, they added that stream light effect that was so prevalent in Akira. That was awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely have to go back and check that out as soon as we're done recording. I should note this whole scene with the bar. I mean, it's pretty much a carbon copy of the opening of Terminator 2. Holy shit. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Except Robin's not naked. Thank God. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, uh, troopers start chasing after him and they, you know, they corner him on a bridge, uh, and Daiso demands for him to surrender. And, uh, he does indeed get off the bike and raise his arms, but it's only so Starfire can swoop in and grab him and fly away. Now, see, this was the other thing that I said was very Batman-like. Cause I could see Batman doing that. And then right before Superman swooped in to fly him away, just giving a little, Fuck you, smirk, you know? <laughs> now, is this what you thought I was going to reference, or were you talking about something else? Um, I thought you were actually going to talk about the guy trying to mug him and him just, like, beating the shit out of him. Uh, no, no, but again, that, that is a Batman moment, too. But it, it was this one that I was pointing towards, yeah. Yeah, very, very cool. <laughs> it actually kind of reminds me of uh, World's Finest with the Batwing and the grapple. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's like, hey, Lois, here's my dick. <laughs> See ya! 
<laughs> um, so they go to this little hideout um, that they've found where I don't know, but uh, Starfire gives Robin a new uniform to change into, like you were talking about earlier. But before she can leave, Robin grabs her arm, and he is about to kiss her. But suddenly, BB plays the role of cockblocker of the moment and bursts through the door. And we actually kind of sort of see Robin's eyes here. Yeah. They're super, sure, they're super deformed, but we'll take what we can get. Yeah. Um, Cyborg says that he did, he did a full molecular analysis of the goo that was all over Robin's uniform from the crime scene, and it was ink. That's not the Batman Beyond villain. It's just regular ink. We forgot to mention something earlier. When Robin was in jail and he was talking to the police captain, Robin's like, but this this isn't blood or it doesn't look like blood or something like that. Uh, so that means, you know, Psychotech wasn't human. And I love the, the, the policeman just getting in Robin's face and being like, neither are half of your friends. I don't know. I just, I just kind of love that little moment where Robin's reminded, like, just because it's not human doesn't mean it wasn't alive. Yeah. So... The streaks on Raven's cloak from her fight with no face, the stains on Cyborg from that hungry yellow robot, and the lipstick from the girl that kicked BB's ass were all ink. Um, and Cyborg makes sure to uh, emphasize that the cat girl kicked Beast Boy's ass. <laughs> and Beast Boy's just like, dude, she was a cat girl! <laughs> so, uh, Raven brings out the book, and she says that Vershogun was... Tokyo's original supervillain. He was once an uh, an artist who dreamed of bringing his creations to life, and he tried to make that dream a reality with dark magic, and though it worked, it came with a very terrible price. His skin became paper, his veins and blood became ink, and he turned into this hideous carnage venom-like thing. And uh, Robin, therefore, is innocent of murder because the thing he defeated wasn't real. It was just an ink creature. And they prepare to track Shogun down, but as Beast Boy notes, everyone in Tokyo is after them. And on cue, the ink creatures, the chefs, the schoolgirls, and all the troopers storm into their little hideout and cue the goofy music chase scene. Okay, now hang on one second. Uh, going back to the origin of Shogun, remember earlier I said there were, there were more clues as to what this creature was. And here was another one. Um, when all his candles are, you know, the, the CM, CMYK color codes and over on the left and right hand side there's also the black ones um so you know i i just like how they keep throwing these little things in there uh reminding us that yeah see these things are made of ink and we've been giving you the clues all along and here's another one mm -hmm. i can't remember exactly how it happens but robin figures out that brush guns hideout is the comic book uh building that was yeah. closed earlier in the feature how does he figure that out I was hoping you'd be able to answer if there was something I just missed, but I cannot remember for the life of me how they figure that out. I think I, he just figures it out. He, there's just a leap Beast in logic, Boy, yeah. Because Beast Boy is, you know, he's in bloodhound uh, mode. And, and they're heading that way. Yeah. And Robin just looks up the hill and he's like, I know where we gotta go. And then they're there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess it's just like ink, you know... We'll just oh, comic book place. You know what? I wonder if it's because uh, the police captain threw the manga at Robin's feet when he was in jail. Remember, he was reading that manga, and he's like, "They don't make heroes like they used to." And then, when before he leaves, he chucks it at Robin. Right. So at this point, Robin's really starting to figure out who the bad guy might be. 
uh, even though he's not saying it, we know he's work, probably worked it out in his head. And maybe that was just the clue when he saw the direction Beast Boy was heading. He goes, okay, I've got this all pieced together now. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, I don't want my hand completely held, but it should have, if that's the case, it should have been explained a little better. Yeah, definitely. Well, they end up starting searching the place, and they see nothing at first, but they enter a room and see an empty chair uh, with some computer monitors around it. So, you know, clearly Dr. Evil, I mean, not. Dr. Claw, rather, is yeah. somewhere around here. Well, maybe Dr. Evil, too. I don't know. Um, so um, suddenly the printing press opens up, and we see Brashogun, the real Brashogun, uh, trapped in this device. He's just this scraggly, gray-looking old guy, uh, and he is a slave to the real bad guy, and his powers are used to fuel the machine and create the criminals against his will. He also explains that he sent the uh, sent Psychotech to the Titan's Tower because it was the only way to give them a reason to come to Tokyo to investigate. And he also sent that paper that freed Robin from the paddy wagon. Um, the real bad guy made a second Psychotech to frame Robin once they were there. So, like you said earlier, the first Psychotech was destroyed by the sprinkler. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. You, you, you know, you can ask yourself, why did Brushogun not just have Psychotech go out and meet the Titans and say, hey, I need you to come to, to Japan with me. And there's two potential reasons for this. One, maybe Brushogun figured that the Titans just wouldn't believe this guy if he said, hey, you got to come to Japan with me. You know, so he's like, but if we attack their tower and give them motivation to come, they'll come guns a-blazing. Or mm-hmm. you can think, you know what, even though he is being tortured and we are sp- supposed to feel sympath- sympathy for him, he is still Tokyo's first supervillain. Maybe he can't think like a good guy, like a rational person. So he did what a bad guy would do and just go out and have someone attack someone else to get their attention. Yep. Either yeah. way, it works for me. I really like your second explanation a lot. Th- th- that one actually works better for me, too, and I'm glad they actually explained how that letter got in the car because or in the in the paddy wagon because when I'm watching this I'm like why did the cop send the letter and then they go and explain it I'm like oh okay that's right the cop didn't send it it was Brushogun that actually sent it mm-hmm. so yeah yeah because that was really confusing me for a while even though yeah. I had seen this before I completely forgot who, who sent it <laughs> I know I, when I first saw that I was like wait why does he want Robin out of jail when he worked so hard to capture him in the first place. It, What's going on? But, yeah, yeah, and he was... seems genuinely pissed when Robin's escaped. It's not yeah. like he's acting for the people around him. He's really pissed off. So again, good, good on them for putting these little things in there and then explaining them without having them seem like exposition. This begs a question, of course. Who's the one pulling the strings? And, of course, turns out it was Commander Daizo all along. He captured Brushogun, who was indeed a criminal, but after that he used Brushogun to create criminals to make himself look like a hero. So, as Robin notes, Brushogun was the only criminal that uh, Zenigata Daizo captured. Um, So, when Robin started investigating, uh, Daizo framed him to keep the truth in. And Daizo says, yeah, good luck getting anyone to believe that story of yours there, kid. So... (laughs) I love that. Um, The troopers attack, uh, but they also turn out to be ink creatures. And uh, Daizo has more of the ink robots created by Brushogun, and they attack too. 
Uh, well, Robin eventually corners Daiso on a catwalk, and Daiso just jumps off the catwalk into the printing press, which overloads the machine. And we see ink spewing everywhere, and even out of Brushogun's mouth. Yeah, yeah. That was brutal. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the building starts to crumble, and the Titans are flung out of it by several explosions. The entire building explodes, and from it emerges Daiso as a gigantic black ink tentacle creature. Yeah. And he and he can control Brushogun's power. Yeah. Um, um, Ra- I should note, Raven notes that he probably won't be able to control it for long, though. Uh, we see that several of these ink creatures are just dripping from this thing's fingertips. Yeah, and, and also, you know, before, you know, the robot was yellow, Astro Boy was blue, the cat girl was pink, um, and the ghosty thing was black, you know. Now, they're all just, the colors are just all mixed together. You know, some of them are black, pink, and yellow, some are blue and red, you know. It's, there's clearly no, there's just minimal control over what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, I feel it's my duty to inform that Daiso became a tentacle monster because that's never a good thing when it comes to Japanese animation. No, <laughs> and what I want to bring up, which I hinted at earlier, is there is, uh, I'm ashamed that I know this, There, there are flash animations online of the tentacle monster actually having its way with, I think it's Starfire. And there's actually another one where Slade has his way with Raven from, I think, the Birthmark episode. And there's another one where Cyborg has his way with Jinx when he was when he infiltrated the Hive Academy. So, again, I'm ashamed that I, I know this. Um, I should get away from that, that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um... The guy who played Shang Tsung in the first Mortal Kombat movie, the the good one, um, actually did uh, Gun's voice, which I thought was really cool because uh, Kerry Tagawa, the the voice actor, he's he's a really good actor. So I, I was glad that they got somebody of his caliber to voice uh, Gun. Um, so Robin sees Gun being absorbed further into the creature, and he manages to climb his way up and get to him and ask him how to stop the spell and. Brushogun just kind of says, look, if if you can free me, Daiso will be nothing. Uh, without me, he's nothing. Uh, Robin tries, but he is sucked into the tentacle creature's body. Hello, Ian Wilson clip segment. Um, <laughs> and hell, if you'll notice, he only ensnares the girls in the tentacles, yeah. uh, that Daiso creature. Yeah. Uh, whereas Beast Boy and, and Cyborg are just kind of slapped aside. Yeah, I think Cyborg stepped on and Beast Boy, is, as you said, just slapped aside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, suddenly, you know, Daiso's laughing and like, oh, 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 and <laughs> that's really what it sounds like. I'm not making it up. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it's not a sound effect I was expecting. That's all. I, I know. I know. But Robin emerges from Tentacle Blob with, with Brushogun, which causes Tentacle Blob to start dissolving. Well, Brushogun- it grows and grows and grows and then explodes. Right. And that felt Vera very... Akira-ish to me. Yep. Okay, I just want to make sure, you know, I, I noticed that. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very much like the, the end of that movie. Yeah. Uh, but Brushogun just disappears. Uh, he fades away, and the creature explodes. Uh, the Titans are all okay, except for Starfire, who looks... She's trapped under this huge pile of ink sludge, and Robin runs over to her in a, a mini panic, but she's okay now. <laughs> 
And it starts to rain. All the ink starts to wash away. Uh, Daiso is seen barely conscious on the ground. Uh, Robin starts talking to Starfire, and it's like, look, I think I was wrong before. Maybe, maybe he could be more. Maybe we can... Starfire says, shut the fuck up and kiss me. <laughs> yeah. So they finally, finally kiss. And, uh, Which Cyborg mentions. Yeah, the it's exact same line. <laughs> yeah, the exact same line from Wild Cards. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so in the last scene, the Titans are thrown a parade by all of Tokyo, and Robin's like, yeah, let's stay for a while. Even heroes need a vacation. Yeah. The end. Uh, two things. One about the ending, and one about uh, the, 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 the final fight, or a couple of things about the final fight, actually. Mm-hmm. Did you notice how, like, off-model Cyborg is during the celebration? Is that because he's, like, eaten all that, that whole all-you-can-eat buffet that the chef has now uh, awarded him with? Like, he's supposed to be super full? Because his head is just, like, it's literally just a circle. It doesn't look like a head. It's just a circle. And he looks chubbier. So I, I think that's what's going on there. But now here, two things. I, I, I like the final fight, but I feel it's way too short. I mean, the I mean, granted, we get it in two segments. It's like it's like a it's like an RPG. You fight the villain, and then oh no, he's a bigger villain. You know, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that, that's exactly what's going on there. But I'm talking about the second half of that fight. It's just like the power is mine, and then Robin essentially sacrifices uh, br- the Brushogun. And the the cop creature thingy dies, and that's it. It was kind of anticlimactic for me. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying there. I mean, they backed themselves into a corner. They only had like when when the final, you know, the first part of the RPG fight yeah. um, started. They only had about twelve minutes left in the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. So they really backed themselves into a corner on that one. Now, the other thing I want to say about you know them defeating the big beastie and the cop and all that. And this isn't something I put two and two together on until this viewing. During the, the, the first half of the fight, it's revealed that the police officers are ink. Now right. that Brushogun no longer has, it has disappeared, and the cop's going to be taken to jail and doesn't have control of Brushogun anymore, the entire Tokyo police force is gone. <laughs> you got to assume they were all ink. You know, they, they say that. There's yeah. no more cops in Tokyo. Tokyo is going to be overrun with crime while well, I, they try to recruit actual humans to be their police officers. I have to think that they have a regular police force because the the trooper – they say they're the Tokyo troopers. That's not a police – that's not the police force. That's okay. not the name of a police force. So i got to think they have regular cops. I, I'll agree with that, but the reason I initially wasn't seeing it that way is because they have that huge building – you know, there's like thousands of them. You know, if it were just the SWAT team, you know, that, that that's a smaller unit. Right. You know, so if we only saw like 10 or even like 20 of these guys, I'd completely, you know, I, I would have never had this train of thought. But because we see so many of them in that entire complex, that's what made me think that they were just the P, the police force. But I'll, I'll, I'll mix everything I said and I'll agree with you at this point, yeah. Honestly, and going back to the the troopers, when Robin saves the one from the paddy wagon being blown up, I I was waiting for it to you know uh, tell Daiso he, he saved me or something. Yeah. But then then of course he turns out to be an ink creature, so I understand why it didn't happen. But right. I, I thought it would be really cool if the ink creature had a mind of its own and was like, but he saved me. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think it would have maybe complicated things a little too much, but no, because there's a cool thing they could have added in, as you said. If the if the ink cop, the ink trooper, says he saved me, Daiso just could have looked at him, not even said anything, just looked at him like shut up. You know, and it, it, upon first viewing, you would think he's just looking at him and giving him that eye because he's mad because Robin escaped. But when you actually know the whole story, you realize he's mad at that creature because that creature has independent thought. When and then he maybe shouldn't. he kills it off screen. <laughs> probably. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, so overall, what were you thinking about Teen Titans t- Trouble in Tokyo? For the vast majority, this was very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was—I didn't know what to expect. I had never seen this all the way through, ever oh, okay. before. I watched before I watched it today for uh, taking notes and whatnot. Yeah. But uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought, I thought this might, you know, be kind of a letdown after you know Brotherhood of Evil and all that stuff. But I was really very pleasantly surprised. Um, the animation was wonky in a lot of areas, especially on character models. But with the fight scenes with the ink creatures, it, it couldn't have been better. And it's it goes back to what we say about Clayface, Ink, all these, and Madame Rouge, all these kind of villains. You, you got to have your A team on that. And I think they did for at least at least the fight scenes. And the fight scenes were awesome. the The Psychotech Robin fight part two was brutal in a very good way. It looked it was super violent and. Uh, you know, I th- I would ask, how do they get away with that? But the whole thing was pink the whole time, right. so they could get away with it, so, which is which I'm glad because it w- it added to the uh, scene. Um, trying to think what else. The you know, of course, we see Robin Starfire's story uh, wrapped up here finally, which I'm glad. I think they did a really really good job with it and incorporating the Batman element of Robin into it. Um. And finally, I love how Starfire finally just is like, shut up, we're kissing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I, I, I'm really high on this. I could I could watch this anytime. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you've said there. Um, I do wish Raven, Beast Boy, and Cyborg had deeper stories uh, in this movie, but... I think that the the main story, the main mystery, is so good, and the Robin Starfire uh, love story is so good that it's okay that the other three Titans didn't have deep, complex stories behind them. Because then this that would have pushed this to like two hours, and they obviously couldn't do that. What is this? Like not even an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. This is seventy four, seventy five minutes. Yeah, exactly. So you know they, they were they were restricted to that. So. I understand, again, I understand why they, they really didn't have, you know, plots of their own. Uh, but like I said, everything else around it is so strong that uh, it, it more than makes up for it. Um, I think we've got a really cool villain. Um, looks great. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's a little obvious who the villain is. But then again, I'm 32 years old. You know, when I first saw this, I would have been, what, my late 20s. You know, yeah. it's not that hard for me to figure that out. But, you know, you got to remember, this is this was meant for younger kids. So it's going to be a mystery for them. And that's what counts. And in that regard, I think it does a great job. The action is spot on. Something we didn't mention in that opening sequence, when they first catch Psychotech, I love how Psychotech's falling. They cut to the base of the tower, and you see the Shuriken that eventually Robin takes hold of when it becomes a spear, just... You like spike into the ground and you see psychotech 
just kind of bounce lightly because Robin has wrapped his rope around him, thus saving his quote unquote life. Um, I just, I just think it's really cool just the way it was handled. Um, there was more I wanted to say about that, but I forgot <laughs> what it was. <laughs> um, it, I just, I just felt it was really intense again with the shuriken hitting and then this guy coming just, fr- you know, inches from the ground. Great stuff. Great stuff. All yep. around. Um, should we just score this one then? Yeah, why not? Okay, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give this an 8. Uh, it's not perfect. I mean, we've There were plenty of animation uh, problems here and there. and uh, I don't think... Maybe on a better day I would give it a 9, but I think 8 is perfectly fair for this. It's really, really, really good. See, I'm teetering between a 7 and an 8. I didn't initially write a score down... And when we were talking about it, I wrote down both scores, and I don't know what I want to give it. Um, what are your What are your main gripes against it? That's what I use to, I, or my personal way of using it to judge whether it deserves one grade or another. The the animation flubs, you know, the, everybody being off model in the beginning. Um, you know, I. The fact, see, I'm going to contradict myself, though. The fact that I could figure out who the villain was, but as I said, this is meant for a younger audience, so that shouldn't really bother me. Um, yeah, I guess it's not a seven. I will give it an eight. Yeah, thank you for helping me talk that out. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll each reevaluate five episodes of Teen Titans and then give our final thoughts on the series. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.